We usually go through a book of the Bible, but I thought I'd spend some time taking things that have been on my mind here and there. If the Lord would grant me to remember them, when the text came to my mind the past few months, and bring them forth today. Sometimes you don't know why something is on your mind. You take it to the Lord, you try to read it, and you try to study it, prepare for it. And you keep wondering, why, why am I thinking about this? And then it's manifested to you. This seems to be the theme of the weekend, if you'll bear with me as I go through this, at least until I finish and judge me then. But it is a fact that was talked about a lot yesterday and it has been on my mind. And I believe it's been on some of yours always also, perhaps from a different text. But it will come through this one, Lord willing. John chapter 8. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Jesus, Scripture says that the Son of Man became poor for our sakes. He became poor that we might become rich. In one place it says He had not a place to lay His head. This is the Son of God who came down from heaven and immortal glory. He became poor. He laid aside the glory of the Godhead. Amen. He was made flesh. He didn't become flesh. He was made flesh. Philippians 2 tells us that was for the suffering of death, the death of the cross. He resorted in the Mount of Olives. He went there to pray and He resorted there with His disciples. This is where He spent most of His nights when He was in this area. In the Mount of Olives. There was Jerusalem. To the east was the Mount of Olives. Between the two was the brook Kidron, which also held a very special place in Israel, idols were destroyed there. Kings were killed there. People were killed there. Trash was dumped there. Very many things, and I'm getting aside from the text, but giving you an idea of what is there. Because Christ resorted in the Mount of Olives. He would come from the Mount of Olives as He came into Jerusalem just to make a comment about Kedron. And all that was entailed in Kedron from the dead bodies, the idolatry that was destroyed, Christ had to come through all that. He had to come through all that. And the body of a man to be crucified on the tree of Calvary. But Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. He had been there for He spent most of His nights and most of those were spent in prayer to the Father above. Why does God have to pray? Why does the, the Son of God have to pray being all God? Because He's also all man. And He prayed for the Father's will. He prayed for His people. He prayed for the purpose the purpose, and you bear that in mind as we go through this text, the purpose of God as we spoke last week in the election of grace. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning He came again into the temple. 
I preached this 20 years ago or so, and I brought it forth, and he came forth early in the morning and came to the temple. And that temple is us, for he dwells within us as he came forth from, from death and was raised up the third day. But I want to look at the historical meaning of these things now in the actual context. Early in the morning he came again into the temple. Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, would go into the sanctuary, would go into the temple at every opportunity and very often to take the book of the law and read to the children of God and those who were assembled there around Him in the temple. He had been in the temple so very much that people knew He would be there and they would come to hear Him. Because no man, understand that man, all God, all man, had ever spake like this. He spake with authority. His doctrine was so strong and so beautiful and so true, manifesting the Scripture, the Holy Writ of God, prophesying of He Himself who was in the world at this time to die for the sins of His people. His people. Early in the morning he came to the temple and all the people came unto him. Now you consider he's been in the Mount of Olives and this is a man, okay? And he's been probably, in my mind, for that's what he always did when he went to the Mount of Olives. There wasn't a bedroom up there in a house. He went to the Mount of Olives and he prayed. So Christ has very probably, in my mind, been praying all night to the Father so he's tired. And the first thing he does early in the morning is to go to the temple and preach the Word of God. This is at the Feast of Booths. Remember that as we go through here. And many were gathered together for that ceremony. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him. We could talk about if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. But let's stay with the text. Very early in the morning, he came to the temple and all the people came unto him. And I'll say this before moving on. Every promised heir of God will come to Him, period. You can put that in the pipe and smoke it as the old saying used to go. All the people came unto Him and He sat down and He taught them. There was not a rabbi of the Jewish priest teaching that could teach like Him. They taught the law they could not keep the law. They did not want to keep the law. They justified themselves by the law. Many of the priests and Pharisees being not of His sheep at all, as He told them in John 10 for one place, you hear not My voice, for ye are not of My sheep. That's important to remember when we think about religion today and we think about people trying to teach the Bible and tell you that they teach the Bible and they preach the Bible. Everyone that picks up a Bible and stands on TV or in a large auditorium, 
Everyone is not a child of God. Everyone is not called of God. If you remember going through Revelation, the the smoke that came up from the pit that no one could see through, the doctrines, the darkness of Satan upon man with false prophets. Everyone is not a child of God. These Pharisees are no different. Those that were not His sheep. I'm not talking of all of them. But there were many that were not of His sheep. They had sought to kill the Christ. We see the man at the pool of Bethesda and how he was healed and how they would persecute Christ for doing good works on their Sabbath when no man was to work on the Sabbath and he was giving life on the Sabbath. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. He has power to forgive sins on earth. And that made them so very angry and they sought to kill Him. Now, we'll come to a point with this when we get down a little farther. He sat down and taught them. He was teaching them from the Word of God, from the what they call the Pentateuch from the laws of the law of Moses, the law that God gave to Moses, all declaring the righteousness of God who is above sin and knows no sin, and all a type of Jesus Christ who at this time was here in the world. All the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist who prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. All the prophets, that's what he preached from. And the scribes and Pharisees who had sought after Him and sought away time after time after time when He began His ministry, who who sought to ensnare Him, to trap Him in His own words, to condemn His good works, accused Him of being of Beelzebub because He had the power to heal and to drive out devils and demons. People don't think they're devils or demons in the world. But brethren, if you can, a child of God can look around this world and see plainly that there are because this entire world is in chaos and that is not of God. Amen. We had five people killed yesterday in Texas and six killed in Mississippi, and another one in Birmingham, and that's not of God. That's of chaos. That's of evil, okay? Now, the scribes and Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto Him, Master, the woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? They are bringing this woman, and if you want to think about the church, it's a perfect place to use this as an example of the church. Because we were carried away. The Lord told Moses, when you've inherited the land which I promised unto thy father, speaking of Old Testament Israel, that you will worship the other gods and you'll whore after the gods of the heathen. So if you want to see this woman as a picture of the church, this is a perfect place to do it. Along with John chapter 4 with the woman with the well that had six husbands. And the one she was with now was not her husband. 
We had been with everything in the world, every doctrine of man, every teaching of man, everything that God forbid us to partake of, we had partaken of in rebellion by the nature of the flesh and the persecution and attack of Satan. We talk about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We also see Satan in three. We see the devil, and we see Satan, and we see Lucifer. Lucifer means bright and shining and alluring, and that is how he tempts us, a child of God, in this world as we live here by the doctrines of the world, by glorifying us or promising us riches, power, or fame. These Pharisees and scribes were no different. Justifying themselves by the works of the law. They brought this woman forth and set her in the midst. Now this is on the Early in the morning, it's the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the rituals that God and Moses had commanded the nation of Israel to do, to partake of. They would encamp around Jerusalem, the Feast of the Harvest, when the crops came in, they would camp in booths to show how God hastily brought them out of Egypt and how God's providence cared for them and led them and protected them. So the Pharisees are here in booths too. They brought this woman. There are many scribes, Pharisees, and people here. The point I intended to make with that. They brought this woman and set her in the midst. Not just in the midst of all those who were gathered together in Jerusalem, but in the midst of their council which they had formed in order to judge this woman, actually in order to try to condemn the Lord and Christ because they hated Him because the authority is His and not theirs. They hated Him without a cause. He was going to fulfill the law and the prophets and drive the heathen out of the kingdom. When the Bible says the heathen should not enter in the kingdom, that's not talking about the kingdom in Jerusalem with walls around it made of stone. That's talking about the heathen shall not come into the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom where the Spirit of God dwells within us. But to make the point, they brought this woman and set her in the midst of this judgment. In the midst of these elders and scribes and Pharisees to judge her. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about a child of God. They cared about themselves and their money and the gold and silver and their power and their fame. Is it much different in the world today? The scribes and Pharisees brought this woman and set her in the midst to be condemned. She was taken in adultery. Now Moses, let me say this. Let me say this. You know, I've told you before, 
In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. We go back to Genesis 6. When the world was so evil, in the fullness of that time that it repented the Lord, He made man upon the earth. And He destroyed everything that had the breath of life in it, except for Noah and his family. Those eight souls of the promised seed. There was deliverance. Here was a time the Scripture calls the fullness of the time. The very Son of God was born into the world. He was made flesh. There was a cleansing, a purging of the true temple, of the church of God, of the assembly of the saints. And I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about saints of God, chosen of God, born of the Spirit of God, given life and called to serve the Lord. Moses in the law, and there was deliverance in that. And Christ coming into the world and fulfilling the work the Father gave Him to do to finish it. And there is another time coming. And as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days the Lord Christ was born in the world, And I'm telling you this because in that time, remember that as I go through this, if God would bless me to keep my thoughts, adultery was rampant in Jerusalem, in Rome, fornication, all sin. We talk about the sins of Rome, the children's sex slaves they had, and all the sins of Rome, Jerusalem was in Rome. Their teachers were saying peace, peace when there was no peace. And their teachers were partaking of the sins of Rome. For the, for the money and the gold and the silver and the carnal, sensual pleasures they had. And I say that to make the point, the very point, it is widely believed among scholars, and I heard Charlie Tucker say this, 30 years ago at least, And I believe this with all my heart, knowing these men and how they are recorded in history and how men are by their very nature. This woman who's brought alone before the Lord, condemned, accused of adultery, where's the man? Where's the man? A woman can't commit adultery without a man. Where's the man? Let's look at the law a minute. Let's go back to Leviticus 20. In verse 10, I believe. And the man that committeth adultery, you catch that? The man. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that is committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer, that's the man, and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man that lies with his father's wife uncovered his father's nakedness. But the man would be put to death, okay? Where's the man? Now this is what Brother Charlie said, and this is what I believe, and this is what 
most scholars lean toward, not all, but most. This was the Feast of Booth. This is early in the morning. This married woman was probably seduced by one of these elite religious leaders. Therefore, she is the only one brought unto the Lord to tempt the Lord into judging her. There's not a man there. The responsibility lays with the man. God made covenant with Adam, not with Eve. It's the man's responsibility. Where is he? I do full well believe one of these men on the council had been with her the day or night before in his booth, at the Feast of Booths. They had worked all this together in their evil minds. People come together when they're working evil. Satan brings them together. You see Herod and Pilate who had previously been at enmity, but they came together at the crucifixion of the Lord because that's the way Satan works things. But God is overall and Christ is God. This woman was taken in adultery. Moses just read, and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Deuteronomy 22. Give you some of the things very quickly. That the Jews brought forth. You know, when we talk about just as an example, we talk about communion and we go back to Exodus and we see how God set that forth. It was very plain and simple. You had the bitter herb, you had the lamb and the blood. And by the time Christ came, they had added so much to that and changed it so very much. They were dipping sops in the bitter herbs. There's not a sop in the Old Testament, but they had changed these things so much. Man, by Satan's influence, loves to corrupt things. He loves to pollute things. He loves to take the glory away from the Son of God and the false doctrines taught in this world. And he likes to keep God's people in hatred of each other and fighting against one another. The greatest destruction of the church of God, the old Baptist is what I'm talking about, the people I grew up in, the greatest destruction, or the greatest thing that has kept us at, at enmity against each other is our own anger and hatred and fighting. God help us. Deuteronomy 22 if a man be found lying with a woman married and husband, they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So thou shalt put away evil from Israel. Okay, that was a physical nation. To keep evil away, they would kill them. Sometimes originally the text by the Jews' account was to strangle them. Then it went to stoning. 
They even went so far to say that if a, a damsel was taken and forcefully taken and she was in the city, then she was to be stoned also, although she was the victim, because she was in a place where she could have cried out for help and she did not. This is so flesh, is it not? Is this not man? She could have cried out and did not, so she's as guilty as the man who was abusing her. So she would be put to death with him, but if it was in the field and no one could hear her, she would not be put to death. Such are the ways of Satan and the ways of flesh. And there were different. The daughter of a priest that was taken in adultery was to be burned. Now, this is under the law. You hear me, child of God, we are not under the law. We are under the grace of God. But if you don't think Satan, the greatest gift, and this is sidetracking a bit, but I'm going to say it anyway. The greatest gift that God ever gave to man was when He created Eve for Adam. That's the greatest thing God ever gave us. That's our love of our life. That is half of us. We're to care for them and love them. That responsibility is given to us. And you could look around this world and see how Satan has corrupted man to the point that we don't care anything about that anymore. It's what's wrong one thing in the world. The first institution God created has fallen so drastically down. But now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? You see what they're doing? Well, you've got all these doctrines, the doctrine that you've taught contrary to ours. Your disciples wash with dirty hands. I mean, eat with dirty hands without washing their hands. And he tells them it's not what goes in the body that comes out that defileth a man. Such as that. Such as that. Simple, plain doctrine of Christ and the blessings of God, but they were so angry and trying to kill Him. So they're trying, Lord, Moses said this woman should be stoned. If Christ had said, and the law did command it, Okay? Now you stop and think about this. You stop and think about this right here. The law commands that we, God's children, who were in sin and enmity against God in heaven, a holy, righteous God, the law demands that we should be put to death but by the grace of God, we have mercy. Amen. We do not get what we deserve. We are not under the law. We are under grace. Nonetheless, they were trying to have Him condemn her to death in order to go to the Roman and say, this man 
who calls himself Christ, this man who says he is the king of the Jews, he says he's king, not Caesar. He says this woman should be put to death. He has no authority to put one to death because we, as the self-righteous Jewish leaders, had the right to enforce the death penalty taken away from us by the Romans. They're trying to condemn Him. Moses and the law commanded us that she should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting Him, that they might have to accuse Him. Okay. Watch this. But Jesus stooped down and with His finger wrote on the ground. Some think... Now they're in the temple, okay? They're inside, so this is the dust on the pavement. Some think that He wrote upon the ground the sins of the scribes and Pharisees. Some think He wrote upon the ground the Ten Commandments. I used to think as Christ reaches down and writes His law upon our hearts and we are dust. Nothing but flesh. At the very least, it represented that. But let's see what Scripture says. Jesus stooped down and with His finger wrote on the ground. It's not important what He wrote. If it was, the Scripture would provide it. As though He heard them not. That's in italics. Some people say that was not in the original text, but I'll tell you this. And this is what I believe. This is the King James 1611 Bible. The God that created heaven and earth, I full well believe, is fully able to keep His Word in the original form, text, and truth that He gave it to the apostles and prophets and those of old. And I believe this 1611 Bible, if it was added when they translated, it was of God's hand. It's making a point. He stooped down and He wrote on the ground with His finger. His back is toward some of them. They were there around Him in judgment, condemning this woman who by all indication in the text and reading it is a child of God. As if he heard or not. I'm not listening to you. First of all, I did not come into this world to interfere in the governments of man. I did not come into this world to interfere with kings and armies 
You remember the text where the man asked the Lord, my brother, my brother, would you make him share the inheritance with me? The Lord said, who made me a judge over thee? He didn't come to the world to judge matters that were already told in God's law how to judge. He came to fulfill the law to a jot and a tittle and to save His people from their sins. He is not going to judge matters where He told them already. Yes, she's guilty. She was taken in adultery. If we offend in one point, we offend in all. What does that tell me? That tells me that I'm a murderer. That I'm a thief. Everything contained in the law, I'm guilty of it by my very nature as were these men. Because we are but flesh and we're fallen. But what sayest thou? He leaned, stooped over, and rolled on the ground as if he heard them not. You see, it's already in the law. You tell me Moses said in the law, it's already there. You're the Pharisees. You know these things. And by the way, don't forget the man and the sin is listed above the woman. And I full well believe one of these men was involved in that entrapment of her. This they said tempted him. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Back to the law. Deuteronomy 17, and this is the law of God. You don't forget, God gave the law for a purpose. 17 of Deuteronomy, Speaking of those that have done witness, done wickedness, six chapter verse six, rather seventeen six, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death. There's some sins were worthy of death, some were not. This is abomination to God. The sin spoken of, therefore, it is punishable. By death. They may change the form of execution, but the point was it was still punishable by death. In that day, as I started to say earlier and stopped before I got to the end, they had a physical death. Today, in the kingdom of God, we're talking about death of being cast out of the church. We're talking about the health of the church. We're talking about the love of God upon His people. We're talking about the love that God's people are to have to each other. That's why we have in Matthew 18 explained to us if you have a quarrel with your brother, go to your brother. Don't run down the road and tell somebody else. Don't run down to another city and tell another congregation and get everybody stirred up and angry 
and mad and in turmoil, that is of Satan. God is not the author of confusion. God gives us remedies because He knows we're sinful flesh. Go to thy brother. If thy brother will not hear thee, just like here, take two or three with thee. If he will not hear them, take it and tell it to the church and let the church judge the matter and what the church judges is final. Amen. People people have forgotten the importance of the church. And I'm not against church discipline. Not at all. But Jesus told these same Pharisees in Matthew 23, you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. You have omitted judgment of God mercy in Christ, and faith of Christ. Mercy. We need to remember mercy in all that we do and not be so quick. This woman was to be put to death in the eyes of the Pharisees. She was guilty. The Lord even said that. You take it. You deal with it. You without sin cast the first stone. And that's not just talking about what He is saying to them and this adulterous generation, is you have done the same thing. Which one of you was she with? Yet you're not here being condemned. You take up a stone and you cast it first. Back to Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 17 and 6, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death? But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. Because people are deceived and because people lie for their own purposes. Amen. The hands of the witness, watch this, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of the people. So thou shalt put away the evil from among you. We have to keep discipline in the church. There's not a doubt about that. I don't have a problem with that. But it's to be done in the mercy of God. It's to be done in the way that God has pinned for us to follow. You know, in the Middle East, they still go by the old traditions. Even the Muslims, some of them. And the victim... If you kill a woman's son, the victim's family gets to decide your fate. Many, many times they have mercy upon the killer. But the point being that of these Pharisees and scribes, one of them, they accused her, they would have to be the first to cast a stone at her. Jesus said, He that is without sin among you. He who has not partaken of this sin among this evil and adulterous generation. Sound like today, doesn't it? And again, He stooped down and wrote on the ground. The Lord has plainly told them, you have Moses and the prophets, you have the law, God has told you what to do. 
by your bloodline, Levites, you're in the position to maintain the law, to rule over God's people by your bloodline, by the law that God gave to Moses. You're bearing witness against this woman. By your law, you guilty people are going to have to be the first ones to throw a stone. And then, be stoned by the rest. Matthew 7, you know where I'm going. Judge that ye be judged not. This is not telling us not to judge. He's telling us how to judge, just as He does in Matthew 18. Where is it? 7. And somewhere... 7 and 1, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Okay, rightly divide the word of truth. When Christ judges the quick and the dead, and He gathers His sheep, His people on the right hand, and He sets the goats on the left, He judges His people. God the Father judges His people in the righteousness of the very Son of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us. They are declared righteous in His blood. They are righteous in Him and Him alone. And to the goats, those that are not His, we know what happens. Lake of fire forever. But we're rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? We're not going to be judged by our work in eternity. We're judged by the righteousness of Christ. So this is speaking of living temporally here in this world. You ever seen somebody so miserable that they make everyone around them miserable? They're angry. They're mad all the time. Watch out now. Sometimes I resemble that remark. But... He's making the point when we're merciful to our brethren in this world, God is merciful to us. I was talking to some brethren yesterday. There was 10 or 15 preachers up there and Brother Deason was sitting with us. We were talking about this. It's a crying shame. It's a crying shame that people are kept out of the church for something that happened 20 years ago. 20 years ago. I know why they do it. Because they don't want to go through the trouble of having to investigate and correct a matter that was done in error 20 years ago. God gave them mercy. We are to give them mercy. Judge not. Judge not. I could go on with this, but I don't have time. What judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, you shall be measured to you again. Two or three witnesses. Look at Romans 2. I intended to spend some time on this, but I don't have time. But Romans 2, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. 
Do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? I'm going to leave that there and move over. They were violating the law of God. They were trying to tempt the Lord. And in these passages I've given you, the Lord is teaching us how to judge. Correct yourself. Take the four by four beam out of your eye before you remove the splinter from your brother's eye. Do not judge someone who is guilty of the same exact crime against God that you yourself have done. Judgment, mercy, faith. For He has showed thee what to do, what is good, whatever, what is required of thee, O Israel, to do justly to walk in righteousness, to judge myself, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. So many places we all know of where we've killed ourselves, where we've killed ourselves because of hardness of heart. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted, you without sin, you who have not committed the same sin she's caught in and accused of, by their own conscience, went out one by one. One of them sits there, stands there, and he thinks about it. This is me thinking. It's not Scripture, but it's me thinking. They went out one by one. They think about it. They're afraid because of what the law says. They're afraid of losing their position and their power and their fame, being Pharisees and scribes and coveting money and gold and silver of the temple more than the temple itself. Let that sink in. And look around today. They think about it and they try to slide out without being noticed. I'm going to get in this crowd over here and I'm going to slide through until I'm gone and I'm going to hide one by one. Beginning at the eldest unto the last. I don't care if you think the eldest is the age and the eldest to the youngest. I don't care if you think the eldest being in a position as an elder as far as being in that position because you're in the league with the Pharisees or the scribes and hold a higher office with the least just a lawyer or a scribe. And the lawyer was one who doctored the law. The very name itself shows corruption. Doctored the law. 
because it will fit both. The older being wiser or the eldest being wiser in realizing that they, in fact, were convicted and should have been standing there beside her. How brilliant is the Lord God to turn their own thoughts and actions and sword against them as He still does today. You see these people in power with money and all they push and all they try to do and the Lord suffers it for just a little while and God will turn their sword against them. And they fall on their own sword, their own works, their own doing. And that is of the Lord. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. Now, if you go to verse 12, He's still in the temple. It's still in the morning. And there are other people still there because the Pharisees were speaking to Him in verse 13. So who left the guilty? Who brought her before Him? To condemn her brings to my mind a precious truth from Revelation 12 where the dragon fought against the seed of the woman, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And the dragon was defeated. That happened on the cross of Calvary. Don't you look for that to happen again. Armageddon is behind. He gathered us to Calvary with Him when He was crucified. He died for us. And the accuser of our brethren was cast down. These men that accused her was gone. Jesus was alone with the woman and the rest of the crowd of people that were there to worship in the temple at the Feast of Booths. When Jesus had lifted up Himself... We could start a text right there and talk about being lifted up on the cross, but we don't have time. And saw none but the woman. Now I'm going to tell you something. We see the we see the woman who was a daughter of Abraham had an issue of blood 38 years. She, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. When he turned and looked at her, he had a reason to look at her because he knew full well who it was. To make her realize. To make her realize. He's looking at this woman. She knows she is guilty. The Bible doesn't say she wasn't guilty. The Bible leads me to believe she was guilty. As with the man who left. We're guilty, brethren. We're sinners. We're, our existence is sin. Our being is sin. Our thoughts are sin. Our words are sin. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are convicted. But Christ died to save us 
from our sins and that work is finished. When Jesus had lifted up Himself and saw none but the woman, the accusers were gone. Do you notice He sees her? Because He loves her. She is a child of God. You cannot convince me otherwise. He said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Going back to the law of Moses, hath no man condemned thee. Understand this. This woman was guilty. This woman by the law God gave to Moses was condemned. But there are none to condemn her. There are none to accuse her. Christ has saved us. We are guilty. That's been revealed to us in the cross of Calvary. When His body was made sin for us, He who knew no sin, we're free, we're condemned, we're not accused anymore. The accuser of our brethren accuses us no more. She said, no man, Lord. All the accusers were left. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. By the law of Moses, He being there, He's God in the flesh. He's known everything, every thought, every hair on your head and everybody else's head since before the foundation of the world. He knew she was guilty. He knew we were guilty. He knew I was a sinner and still am. And He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Brethren, we deserve to be condemned of God. We have never been condemned. I've said this recently. But the covenant has always stood in the realm of eternity and always has been. We've never been condemned. But we are condemned by God's law by our nature with the salvation of Christ always there to save us, always in the covenant of love. But here's the important thing. Go and sin no more. God has given us a kingdom in this world. I'll just cut it short because I'm out of time, but you know, the last three years it's been going nowhere, hiding in the house from COVID. Shame on me. You do what you think's right to try to help the children of God. You skip meeting and things like this to help the children of God. And then we finally come back out by grace of God and start meeting again. I'm trying to make the point of how precious this kingdom is. How precious the church of God is. How precious the knowledge of the Son of God is. And to keep from being so scattered and bring it out again. Why? 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 Do we hurt ourselves so much? being so hard-hearted one towards another, Christ forgave us. We are to forgive one another. What ye bind, I give unto you the king's kingdom of heaven. What ye bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. 
What you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's not talking about us or Peter meeting somebody at the gate of heaven and binding them or sending them away. That's talking about judgment in this world. God respects our judgment. Every church, every congregation has its own right to do so. And I respect that and I love that. But my prayer is that God would help us to be merciful one to another. I'm tired of seeing doors shut churches. And in that, Christ will be glorified.